you'd like to scroll. How are you, how are you out there tonight? Few people, how about the rest of you that are talking and ignoring me? Are we ready for the word tonight? So Matthew, we've been there for a while, Matthew 24. We're going to spend some more time there tonight. Jesus answering his disciples' question about what are going to be the signs of your coming. Jesus left the earth and said he's coming back again for his church. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. I believe the Holy Spirit is removing the spots and getting the wrinkles out because he's coming back soon. Amen. Thank God for somebody who says amen. The rest of you, stop talking to each other and pay attention. Matthew 24, uh, we're going to unpack verses 23 through 31. Uh, I'm going to read it to you in just a minute. Let's thank God for the word tonight. And then we've got a lot to cover. So we're going to take a look at it real quick. 24, verse 23. Find your way there and let's thank God for the word. Father, we thank you tonight for this time in the middle of the week when we can come into your presence and worship you. Lord, we pray that you would continue to pour your spirit out and move in this place. You would continue to stir our hearts uh, to yearn for more of you. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you open up our hearts and our minds tonight so that we can understand uh, the implications of your word and take them to heart and, and live them, Lord God. Not to be hearers only, but to be doers. So we ask all that in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Matthew 24, starting in verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Verse 26. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. Listen to this. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 28, listen to this. This is something that we're going to take our time with tonight because it's, it's very interesting. For wherever the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered together. Powerful stuff tonight as Jesus continues to tell of the signs of his coming. We've looked at many of them. He continues to speak to his disciples. Now realize this whole series of what Jesus is, is saying here was teed off by the fact that his disciples had the guts to ask him some really powerful questions like, you know, what's going to be the signs? They hear all kinds of things. They think all kinds of things, but they wanted to hear from Jesus. And he takes the time to answer their question, probably in bigger ways than they ever thought possible. But we get to enjoy all of that now. Verse 23 through 26, again, gives us a warning for his coming and the signs of false Christ or false prophets or false teachers. Say false. There's always going to be a lot of false in the world. And there's, there's, well, you think, you know, well, if a person says they're a Christian, then, then they're a Christian. How many remember being young and newly saved and you met someone and they said they were a Christian and you're like, wow, so am I. Anyone remember? Now it's like someone says they're a Christian. I'm like, we'll see. Because everybody says they're a Christian. 
And the guy who just said he's a Christian is cursing, he's joking around, he's stealing from the boss, he's cheating on his wife. Oh, I'm a Christian. You see, when you're young and naive, you think, oh, you know, oh, yeah, you're a Christian, everybody's a Christian, and we just start spilling our guts and opening ourselves up, and now we get a little bit older, we get a little bit wiser, and we test the spirits. You say, well, why are you saying all this, Pastor? Because if we don't have discernment and we don't have a, a little bit of, you know, healthy suspicion, we're going to get deceived by the faults. Because there's a lot of people who are pretending out there and they have different agendas and, and, and they have different desires. And so the faults is always going to be there. People who have no discernment will point to the manifestations that the false teachers and prophets do. They're going to point to the big churches and the big meetings and the flashy-looking preachers and the, you know, the, 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 the great uh, smoke machines and skinny jeans and big screens. And they're going to be, wow, that's God. And sometimes it's not God at all. Now, I'm not categorically throwing all that stuff out. You know, if God's there, praise God, great. But we can't be distracted, and we've got to be on guard for the fault. So all, all of the fake things, all of these fake sightings here, he says, you know, check out what he says. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, don't believe it. So, so these fake sightings, these fake reports, these fake manifestations, remember when I talked about false Christ, there are actually some people in the earth today claiming to be the, the reincarnation of Jesus, there's a couple in Australia I had mentioned before. They're, they're saying, uh, the guy's saying he's Jesus and his wife is Jesus Jr. I'm dead serious. You can Google it and check it out. You, you won't even believe this stuff. And they actually have followers. And so there's a lot of fake news out there. There's a lot of faults and there's a lot of, uh, you know, confusion and distraction that comes from this. And I want you to see that. That's what this is all about. These things will be time wasters. They will create confusion and they will be distraction. And the enemy loves this stuff. So let's look at time wasters. You know, chasing spiritual counterfeits doesn't leave us the time and the energy we need to do God's will in reaching the lost. Have you ever seen immature people who run after every meeting and run after every preacher and run after every, and they're all over the place. Well, where's your local church? Well, I don't have one. Well, you know, they're not planted. They're not growing. They're not mature, but they're thrill seekers. And, and they chase these meetings, and sometimes it's just flash, and it's just flare, and it's, it's not God at all. And that, and that becomes a time waster, uh, chasing the faults, chasing counterfeits, waste time. And then we don't have time to get to know God or to fulfill the Great Commission in reaching the lost. We need all hands on deck right now in the body of Christ. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, amen? So these... False sightings serve as time wasters. They also create confusion and chaos. Can I just say categorically, confusion and chaos is not from God? If, you, if something is confusing to you, if something is creating chaos in your spirit, if when you, you get involved in it, you know, it's just like, and I'm talking about if you're born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not born again and you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you, you can go to church and feel chaos. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want to let you go, and those spirits that have control over you are going to be uncomfortable in the presence of God. Welcome to Full Gospel Center. But if you are a Christian and you get involved in something and it's creating chaos in you and it's creating turmoil in you, that's not God. 
And so that's what the false does. It creates that chaos and confusion. And, you know, people who allow themselves to be spiritually confused often wind up spiritually deceived. Number three, distraction. How many people say that distractions waste a lot of your time during the day? Amen. Anybody else get distracted by stuff? You ever like try to clean something and you move a a piece of furniture and you find something you were missing behind it? So you pull through the dust balls and you find it. You're like, wow, I really missed this. And then the next hour you're playing with it or messing with it or trying to fix it. Just me. Distraction. Distractions can be powerful. You know, distraction is one of our enemy's greatest weapons. He doesn't even have to get you doing something sinful or something bad. He's just got to get you doing something other than what God's called you to do. And that's distraction. Come on, you can talk back to me tonight. So those distractions uh, by the faults are, you know, a, a big stumbling block for people. Why? Because people who are distracted by the faults or confused and have chaos in their spirits, they they are lining themselves up to miss the truth. And you say, well, how how could this happen? How could spiritual people miss the truth? Would you look at the Pharisees? Would you look at the Sadducees? Would you look at the ones who, the the scribes and, and all of these guys that knew the law and the prophets, they could quote it verbatim, yet Jesus stood right in front of them and they didn't recognize him. Don't think for a minute that we can allow ourselves to be distracted or drawn away by deceptive false things and not miss the truth because that's the point of the drill. Now, governments use distraction all the time on on their people. We've seen this in the last little bit here. The government tries to distract with, you know, they get the state media to run stories to cover things to distract us from what's really happening. And you see this in other countries, but you see it in America now too. Do you realize that there are millions and millions of people in North Korea right now that think the West is everything it's not. They are so deceived, they don't have any TV, any internet, any outside source. They're cut off, and their leaders have conditioned them over to the years to think the West hates them, the West wants to destroy them, the, the West is about to attack them, to the point where their leaders have been able to subjugate them and literally starve them and turn it into a military state. They're developing nuclear weapons while their people are starving to death. And the people believe the lie. Do you realize right now in Russia, there are multiplied millions of people, even in this high-tech social media worldwide web age, there are multiplied millions of people that think the West started the war. And that Russia is just defending itself. They just, they, they televised a meeting where they, where they spoke to the Russian people. And Putin's out there saying all this misinformation. And they're clapping like until their hands are falling off. And they're sending their sons to die. 300,000 soldiers have just been called up. And they're dying in Ukraine at a massive rate. Over More than four times what we lost in Vietnam is happening in Russia. And the people are allowing it because they're deceived. Do you understand how disinformation works? Do you understand how distraction works? Do you understand how people manipulate people? It's the faults. During World War II, the Japanese had so brainwashed their soldiers that the Americans were evil, that they they were told that the Americans would torture them and mutilate them and cannibalize them to the point where Japanese soldiers would fight down to the last man and never surrender. 
the historical fact. And some of them that were captured were shocked when they were given medical treatment, food, and water, and taken care of. Never underestimate man's ability to deceive. So deception, distraction, all part of the false. Verse 23 provides us uh, really... uh, you know, a blanket statement that if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. Did you hear that? When people say, oh, he's over here. Oh, he's always over there. Oh, he, he showed up at this church. Oh, he, he's, in, he's in this place. The Bible's saying, don't believe that. But you're going to see Christ's coming is going to be a universal thing that all the world experiences and knows when it happens. So it's a blanket statement. Don't believe this. Jesus is telling us, When Jesus does return visibly and bodily to this world, it will not be a secret. His appearance will be the showstopper of all times. Everyone will know it, and the entire world will witness it. People who claim to have exclusive insider knowledge about Jesus' return have given themselves over to the spirit of Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a heresy in the early church where there was secret knowledge, where only a few people knew the secret knowledge, and you had to come to them like a spiritual guru, and they would spoon-feed you the secret knowledge, and then you can be enlightened. Jesus is saying there's no... There's nobody who's going to have the edge here. There's nobody who's going to, you know, know the time or the hour. But when I come, everybody's going to know. People who claim to have exclusive insider knowledge of Christ's return are, are just deceived. Now, be very wary of those who always try to exert themselves over you or others spiritually. That's not the mark of a godly leader. Someone who demands that, you know... They spoon feed you or you you have to come to them or you can't go to any other source or they're higher than you or they're above you. Look, I don't even want to be up here on the platform, but I told you before I'm too short for the cameras, so they made me stand up here. I'd rather be down right there with you guys, and that's where I preach from for years. So either you pray for me to grow or lower the cameras or something, but we should never put ourselves over others spiritually. Amen? Now, my mother says I'm special, so you might want to consider that. But other than that, we don't elevate ourselves over others and lord over them and and try to just control them spiritually. No, it's not the way it works. So verse 24 and 25 uh, reminds us, you know, it's a reminder to the people of God. It says, for false Christ and false prophets will, say will, will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, Even the elect, see, I have told you beforehand. So, you know, there's some great reminders in here. The false prophets and the false Christs are coming. There's no way to avoid it. There's no way to short circuit it. Uh, Don't be surprised when they do come. Just know that it's a sign that Jesus is coming. Amen. Remember, there always been these things. There always been these signs, but the increase and the, and the tempo of how they are folding out and, and just increasing is going to be a sign of his coming. Uh, number two, these frauds will be empowered by the spirit of Antichrist. I want you to understand that. You say, well, any miracle is a miracle, and every miracle is from God. Not true. Uh, you know, when Moses went before Pharaoh to ask, you know, to let my people go, what did Pharaoh's magicians do? They tried to perform signs and wonders, and they copied some of the signs and wonders that Moses did. Come on, read your Bible. 
So the dark realm, the, 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 the enemy does have power and does have spiritual power and can do things, uh, you know, signs and wonders in the supernatural realm because that's a supernatural realm to deceive people. So be very careful about, you know, miracles and signs and wonders. You know, when you got these people, oh, you know, we prayed to this statue and it started crying and we prayed to this statue and blood came out. I mean, you, you can go look at all. There's crazy stuff out there. And it's idolatry and it's, you know, it, it, it's paganism. It's, it's crazy stuff. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't do, do signs, wonders and miracles. We can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Come on. God still does signs, wonders, and miracles, but the enemy has always tried to counterfeit what God does. So the frauds will be empowered by what? By the darkness, by the spirit of Antichrist. And, and they will what? Show signs and wonders for what purpose? To deceive. Now it says, if possible, even the elect. We're going to talk about that a little bit. So realize that the darkness will perform signs and wonders for the purpose of deceiving the masses who don't know Jesus. This is not the time to be spiritually ignorant. It's time to have your feet solidly on the rock of Jesus Christ, to be born again, to be filled with the Spirit, to be walking in the Spirit, to have oil in your lamp. Amen. Now listen, these frauds, the spiritual fakers who are false Christs and false prophets and false Preachers, all of these false teachers, whatever you want to call them, they're going to have all different titles, but they're going to be frauds. They will be charismatic, they'll be slick, and they'll be smooth. How many know if a person is charismatic, if they're smooth of speech, if they're slick, they can draw people to themselves? You ever heard of the cult of personality? People just charismatic people. Now, we've seen some of this in the body of Christ where charismatic people got involved and they were charlatans and had an agenda to fleece people for money, but they weren't from God. We've seen that throughout church history. Understand, uh, th these spiritual counterfeits will be slick. They will be smooth. They'll be great speakers. Some people, it's just amazing. If a person speaks well, they'll listen to them even if they don't believe a thing they're saying. Come on, anybody ever listen to politicians? Slick and smooth and sweet speech and promise you this and promise you that and make you feel good. And then when they get in office, they forget everything they said. So realize that the faults will be very uh, seductive in the way they draw people to themselves. And it says here that they'll be so slick and smooth that they will almost be able to deceive the elect remember when we talked about the elect in one portion of this chapter here uh we said that the elect applied to uh the jews in that case that the, that word elect that was translated there meant chosen and the jews are the chosen people that the elect can also be the people of God who are elected through uh, predestination that God drew them in. So the scripture also teaches that, you know, we are the elect, amen, because Christ chose us before the foundations of the earth, amen. You know, well, you say, well, did he, did he not choose some people? No, he chose everybody, but he knew who would respond to him. He knew who would say yes to him. So God didn't make some people just to go to hell. No, he gives everybody a chance, amen. You laugh, but, you know, there's some churches that teach that. Well, yeah, these people are just, you know, they're cannon fodder, and we're the elect, and we're the redeemed. You know, so the elect here in this sense 
um, does not just apply to the Jews, but as I look at this here, and the word says the elect, it applies to everyone who belongs to God who will not be deceived by the, the deceptive spirits of Antichrist. So certainly, right now, there are deceiving spirits in the earth. You and I, the church, are the elect. The Holy Spirit's going to keep us from being deceived, amen? He's going to keep us. Why? Because it's not possible for us to be lost because our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. We've given ourselves to the Lord and his keeping power will keep us. So remember I said anytime we're looking at uh, any prophetic things or eschatology, we've got to know exactly who's being spoken to here. And, uh, you know, in this case, we, we see that the mention of the elect there, and I believe it applies to the believers. It applies to the tribulation saints when they are, you know, people who get saved during the tribulation. God's keeping power will keep them, and eventually it will apply to the Jewish people. Why? Because at first, the Jewish, Jewish people will be deceived, and they will go through the entire tribulation with the Bible teaches, and Antichrist will make a deal with them and broker a, pre, a peace treaty with them, and they'll be deceived by it. But three and a half years into the tribulation period, he breaks the treaty with them, remember? He presents himself in the temple as the abomination of desolation. He declares himself to be God and demands to be worshipped. And the Jews go, oh, no, we're not worshipping you. We worship Jehovah. We worship God, and we won't worship you. And at that point, the tribulation will turn into the great tribulation, and he'll pursue them all throughout those three and a half years, and God will protect them and keep them. Come on, look at me like you know what I'm talking about. Amen. We, we should know some of this stuff by now. So here we see that word elect and we define who it applies to. And, uh, you know, it's to whoever belongs to God and who is under his keeping power. Just remember, the reason that all of us are here today is not because of our keen intuition or our sharp intellect or our theological prowess. We are here today safe in the hands of God because of the precious Holy Spirit and his keeping power. And that's it. That's it. Oh, no, no, I'm special. I'm really good. You know, I'm one of God's favorites. I have such a powerful anointing. I've just, I've been a wonderful person. You know, forget about it. All of us are sinners. All of us are here because he kept us. And none of us are here because we were good enough or smart enough or spiritual enough. Amen. It's all grace. I should get more amens with that. So number four, Jesus highlights in verse 25 that we've been warned. Look what he, he says here. It's kind of interesting. Uh, the false Christ, false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive even possible the elect. We talked about that. See, I have told you beforehand. So Jesus is saying, you've been served. You've been warned. You've been told. There's no excuse for ignorance. There's no reason to be shocked when these things happen, when the false appears, when people claim to be Christ, when people start cults and all these things and, 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 and say that, you know, X, Y, and Z about Jesus. Don't be shocked by that. Realize it's a sign of the times. It's a sign of his coming. And prepare yourself to meet your Savior. Preemptively warned, so there's no excuse. There's no saying, I didn't know. Can I just say that sometimes we like to claim, well, I didn't know. How, how many have heard that excuse a lot? Maybe you have kids and you're like, you know, that you told them to do something, they didn't do it, and say, I didn't know. So we go back to the, the stenographer and the court recorder and we, 
I didn't know. You know, that's not going to be an excuse for us when we stand before God that I didn't know. Because we all have Bibles. We all sit in church. We all hear these things all the time. You know, one of the most dangerous things uh, to come into church is that now you're responsible for what you hear. I've got people are going, I ain't coming back. That's it. You know, the more you're made aware of, the more you're responsible for. The more you can't say to God, I didn't know. And so Jesus basically says, you've been warned, you've been told, you know, prepare yourself, keep yourself, watch for these signs and know that as you see the temple of these things increasing in the earth, don't get scared, don't come unglued, prepare to meet your Savior. Verse 26 through 27, Jesus continues to drive home the point that his second coming will not be discreet, it will not be obscure, it will not be in some remote hidden location. Uh, you know, look how he says it. Therefore, if they say to you, look, here in the desert, don't go out. Look, here in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Listen to 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So he says a lot of stuff there. In verse 26, he says, I'm not going to just appear somewhere in a desolate place in the desert. You know who appeared in the desert? John the Baptist did. When John the Baptist came, what was he doing? He was out in the desert. He was clothed in camel fur. He was eating locust and wild honey. Here's a wild, bearded, skin-wearing redneck out in the sticks. And he's saying, prepare you the way of the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Could you imagine? John would have been a sight to behold, amen? Locust stuck in his beard, clump of honey on this side, just wild. But, you know, it's kind of a reference there. They say, oh, you know, come see in the desert. No, he's not John the Baptist. He's not coming that way. Then he says, not in the hidden rooms. Where did Jesus appear after the resurrection? He appeared to the disciples in hidden rooms. Why were they hidden rooms? Because they were hiding. Because he was killed, they were scattered, and they were scared. So what did Jesus do? You know, he just kind of walked through the wall and say, ta-da. And they'd all be like, ah. Thomas is feeling his hands. And in the hidden rooms. Well, the second coming is not going to be that. His people will be caught up with him. The church will be with him. The tribulation saints are there. When he comes the second time at the end of the tribulation period, it's not going to be this, you know, hidden location. It's not going to be in a secret place. It's not going to be in the desert like John the Baptist. This time, he's saying my coming will be different. Consider how Jesus describes the manner of his return. This is a powerful statement here that we're going to unpack, verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Um, he uses lightning to describe his return. Now, how many would say that lightning is an awesome thing? Have you ever seen like just a powerful electric storm where the sky just completely lights up, where lightning just would hit and scatter? I mean, it can be some of the most awesome stuff. I love it. I don't care what time it is. It could be 3 in the morning. If it's doing that, I'm up and I'm watching. Some of you are like, I ain't getting up. But I mean, lightning is an amazing thing, and Jesus uses it to illustrate the manner of his coming here. Now, 
understand, lightning is not secret, it's not hidden, it's not remote, it's powerful, it's explosive, it's actually startling. You know, like when you hear thunder and boom, and a big, have, have you ever just been like woken up out of a deep sleep? Where I live, it's all trees. I've heard trees get whacked and this big boom, and then you're up and you hear branches falling and stuff, and it's like, ah. It's pretty cool, though, because it's, it's the awe of God displayed in nature, amen? It'll startle you. And the, the thing about lightning is it's visible from every direction, when it hits, boom, everybody sees it. It's visible. It lights up the sky. It becomes a, a beacon. And so understand as he uses this as an illustration, you know, uh, his coming is going to be powerful. It's going to be explosive. It's going to be startling because it's going to happen in a flash, and you're going to see it from all directions. That's how Jesus' appearing will be. It won't be secret. It won't be remote. It won't be out in the wilderness. Everyone will see it. The lightning Jesus speaks of is said to flash from the east and be seen to the west. This lines up perfectly with other scriptures that talk about the manner of his return. I want to look at two scriptures there. Realize Jesus is going to uh, come back in the Middle East there. He's going to come back where the dome of the rock is and his foot is going to touch there. So it's going to be in the east and yet we're going to see it in the west. It's going to be a universal thing. Listen to Zechariah 4, 14. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will split in, in the middle from the east to the west, forming a large valley. Half of the mountain will move towards the north and the other half toward the south. Did you hear that? A description of the impact point of Jesus' return on the Mount of Olives. Where does he return? To the east. It lines up exactly with what he's saying here. Zechariah prophesied thousands of years before Christ here, and then Jesus comes and says the same thing. Listen to Revelation 16, 18 through 19. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds of peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake. Sounds exactly like what Zechariah described. Such as there had not been since mankind came upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and mighty. The great city, that's Jerusalem, was split into three parts, just like Zechariah, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in the sight of God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. So at Jesus' coming, there's going to be that lightning-like return. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be, uh, you know, the splitting of the ground, uh, all of these things. And then from east to west, they're going to see it. The whole world is going to see it. Now, you might think, you know, this, this sounds kind of far-fetched, like science fiction. Is this really going to happen? It's really going to happen. And understand that, you know, when it does happen, you would say, well, how's everyone going to see? You know, before the time that we live in, this would be a hard text to believe. Because, you know, there was no cable news. There was no high-speed internet. There was no satellites. Do you realize something could happen in Jerusalem right now, and in minutes, we're seeing it on cable TV? So, you know, other generations might have looked at this and gone, how is this going to happen? I mean, is Jesus going to be really big when he comes back? You know, he's going to be like giant Jesus coming. How is it? Now, we have the technology to, to see this happen. 
It's just amazing what we could see. Think about in World War II when things happened on the battlefield and stuff. People had no way to know or see. I mean, they, I could, guess they could take video or stuff. And, but, I mean, it wasn't an instantaneous thing. Now it's an instantaneous thing. If something happens while we're in church and we go home, it's on the news. And we can see it. And that's how it's going to be with the return of Christ. We are going to see the whole world is going to experience his coming. It's going to be a, a profound, powerful, cataclysmic event that will get the attention of the whole world. So when people say, oh, he's over here, he's hiding in the closet, don't believe that. Oh, he appeared in the desert there. He's, a, he's got a little tent. He's washing. No, don't believe that. Verse 28 is the last verse that we're going to look at tonight, and it's an interesting one. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So Jesus just takes a few verses to depict the nature of his coming. He's very descriptive. He uses lightning as an illustration. We unpacked all of that. But then he comes out and makes this statement. How many would say that, you know, this statement, like, wh where did that come from? We're talking about carcasses now and eagles. Let's take a look at that. It can be a bit confusing. And when I studied this, I looked at a lot of commentaries, a lot of scholarly writings on it, and there, there are a few in interpretations out there. Uh, some of them are off the wall. Some of them are plausible. But I'm going to just cut through all of that for you and give you the common consensus here. It says, for where the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered together. Now, the carcass in this case here and from other appearances in Scripture represents non-believers, and particularly not the non-believing Jews uh, because Jesus is going to come back and, and in a day Israel will be saved. They're going to receive Messiah the second time when he comes. They missed him the first time and that was for us Gentiles so that we could be grafted into the church of Jesus Christ, grafted in to uh, Abraham to the root, amen. But this is the time of the Gentiles that we're in. Israel's been treading water for all these years. Why? We're going to look at it now because they rejected Messiah and they go into a holding pattern. But most scholars that have, you know, a really plausible understanding of this text will say that the carcass represents unbelievers, particularly unbelieving Jews who rejected Messiah. Now, since the Jews refused Jesus as Messiah, even though he he actually fulfills every messianic prophecy in the Old Testament, their eyes were unable to see him, so they have been in a downward spiral of moral decline ever since. Do you realize that since 70 AD, uh, when Her the Herodian temple was destroyed by the Romans, the Jews have not had a temple to worship God in since 70 AD? Now, if you're Jewish, you, you understand, you're under, the, you're under the Mosaic law covenant. You have to offer sacrifices for your sins, literal animal sacrifices to shed their blood to temporarily cover sin. They have not been able to fulfill their contractual obligation to the Mosaic law since 70 A.D. Wow. We need to pray for the Jewish people. They've been through so much whether, you know, the persecution, the diaspora, where they're scattered all over, the Holocaust, just over and over again, you know, God loves them, God is for them, God is going to attend to them at the end of the age and save them in a day, but realize they have not had a place to exercise their worship properly since 70 AD. The nation of Israel is 
divided into three parts. It has a huge secular population of unbelieving Jews that don't believe anything to do with Judaism. They're Jews by, you know, uh, you know, basically that it's just their culture, but they they don't believe in Judaism. They don't practice Judaism for, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes. They're unbelievers. So you got one huge group like that. They're heathenistic, they're amoral, and many of them are atheists. That's a third of Israel's population. The practice of Judaism is all over the map. You've got another sect of ultra-legalistic Hasidic Jews who, who you know, make up the religious community here. You have the religious Jews who are ultra-religious, and you've seen them, how they cloistered themselves, they dress differently, they, they live, you know, they, they're, they're like communal, they're tribal, and they, they don't want to associate with Gentiles. The Hasidics, and you, you see that, and they're ultra religious. Uh, so you got that group. Here you have, you know, a third of them are just heathens, and then you got a third of them are ultra-religious, and then you have, you know, the, the kind of neo-Jews who are, you know, their rabbis are very liberal, and they don't really teach the Old Testament anymore, and you're seeing things in their church where they just have embraced, you know, everything that the Old Testament says they've thrown out, and they've embraced all kinds of things that are unbiblical, and for all intents and purposes, you know, they're, they're just, they're called liberal Jews. And now, you see how Israel is fragmented, how the Jewish people are fragmented into those three groups. Well, some of that will represent this carcass that Jesus is talking about. Now, let's take a look at how, where the eagles come in. Now, the eagle represents the armies of Rome. No, notice Rome has always persecuted the Jews. The Gentile armies will go after the Jews during the tribulation period. We know this from the book of Revelation. And they will persistently seek to subjugate them, to afflict them, and even exterminate them. Do you know the Holocaust wasn't an anomaly? It's what the enemy intends for the Jewish people because he hates them because God loves them. So you see, the eagle here represents the armies of Rome. And that's an interesting thing. If you've seen Roman armies depicted in history, you notice the standards that they carry, their flags that they carry into battle. Their insignia is an eagle. Hello? The eagle will go after the carcass. Are you getting this? Uh, armies who persecuted the Jews throughout history had a standard with an insignia that had an eagle on it. If you know the Nazi symbol, their insignia that they carried into battle had an eagle on it. And what did they do? They killed six million Jews. So you see the symbolism here? This is probably what this means. Jesus is throwing this in there for us to dig into. Certainly the idea of eagles gathering to consume the carcass Carcass happened in 70 AD when the Roman general Cyrus and his army destroyed Herod's temple and fulfilled Jesus's prophecy. Remember what Jesus said at the beginning of Matthew 24? Do you see all these things? He points to the temple. Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another. And what happened? The Romans came in with their eagle insignia and they leveled the temple. And since 70 AD, the Jews have not had a place to worship. We also see this idea played out in the Holocaust, and we see it in the modern area of Israel as they contend with multitudes of terrorist nations who surround them, oppose them, and want to destroy them. So an interesting statement by Jesus. You all look like you're shell-shocked and ready for a nap now. So let's bow our heads and pray. Don't fall asleep, though.
Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you uh, that we can dig into it, and by the Holy Spirit, we can understand it. Father, I pray that this would encourage us, uh, not confuse us, Lord, to, to watch out for false things and to guard our spirits, to, to search for truth and to yearn for truth, but to do it uh, under the covering and the protection of the Holy Spirit. Because if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. But God, we know of your keeping power and your great faithfulness. And so we ask you to keep us and guard us and to protect us and to make us that church without spot or wrinkle. Father, to help us to consecrate ourselves to you and to love you and allow you to sit on the throne of our heart, unchecked. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.